Welcome everyone to another episode of the SAM Rams Ask a Chair podcast series. My name is Hamza Ajaz. I'm your host today, and I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Mary Tansky, who is the department chair at Oregon Health and Science University. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's start at the very beginning. What drew you to the field of emergency medicine? Yeah. Well, I've always been fascinated by medicine in general, and when I was younger, I had the opportunity to shadow some emergency medicine physicians from an early age, and I just fell in love with it. I went to Detroit Receiving and University of Michigan and Michigan State Go Green, and I just thought they had the coolest job in the world. They just had a chance to see every single patient that came through the doors and take care of them without worrying about insurance or where they came from or their background, and that was really interesting to me. And I love that in EM, you also get to establish a quick rapport with patients. And so even if they're having a bad day, you can hopefully make their day a little bit better. And that really resonated with me. Honestly, sometimes I feel like it's the ability to make any impact on the patient. That was one of my things why I chose emergency medicine was you get 20 to 30, depending on how many patients you see in the shift, you get that many tries to make an impact in someone's life. And it can be as simple as like grabbing someone a blanket, grabbing them a sandwich or a juice. Like sometimes that's all they really need and that's why they're there. And sometimes just to tell them that like the back pain they're having isn't because of some life-threatening illness or a cancer or something like that, you know. And you know, it's it's interesting the kind of the social terms of health and kind of the different walks of uh, people that you know come from uh, to be able to communicate with them and to have that rapport that you build so quickly. It's uh, that was one of the definitely the gravitating factors for emergency medicine for me as well. Yeah, I think sometimes getting a blanket is the best part of the job. Really, people can just have that instant comfort from you. It's a warm hug, basically. Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Right on. And so let's pivot a little bit, you know, beyond the, the clinical aspect of emergency medicine. I noticed that you've also completed an administrative fellowship in EM as well at OHSU. So what motivated you to pursue that fellowship? Yeah, I just wanted to spend a little bit more time getting involved in the operational and quality improvement side of emergency medicine. I wanted to have a chance to take a deep dive into how operations work and how EM relates to the rest of the health system in the community. And I had a great chance to do that. It was a two-year fellowship initially at OHSU, and you had a chance to get an MBA while you did it as well. And it's a healthcare-specific MBA. And so most of the courses are very focused on the operational piece of medicine. So they're all, all the cases are medicine-based, and you have that chance to develop relationships with people in the hospital and across Oregon. So I had a chance to do some great projects, a front-end remodel where we started a rapid medical evaluation program and ED observation expansion while working on my MBA. So it really made the MBA applicable and focused on what I was doing in my real-life job. And now you're the chair and you also have your MBA that you talked about as well. How has that degree or those experiences helped you in your role now as a chair? I think they help a lot because you are able to focus operations and quality on real life projects that I was mentioning. So where for us, sometimes we have that sense of wanting to do things really quickly. Hospital administration doesn't really work that way. So you get a chance to learn how to frame things, speak administrator talk, and be able to push projects through or make a business proposal or business case for something that you know is going to work on the front lines. And so it was extremely valuable to see examples of how to do that and to put it into action. So be able to speak that you know, talk that talk and speak the same way that administrators do, and then also to bring people along with us. So we currently also run the admin fellowship. So we went from fellows to running the fellowship, myself and my um, co-fellowship director. And since then, we've been able to bring several administrative fellows through and get them involved in what we're doing day to day. And that's been very rewarding too. So it's perfect that you bring that up, actually. My next question is, you know, for the residents who are considering different administrative fellowships, as you know, a co-fellowship director yourself, what advice would you give to residents who are looking for admin fellowships 
or what should they be looking into when they're comparing different fellowship opportunities? Mm-hmm. I just went through the cycle for Adam Fellowship myself, but I want to get your thoughts on this as well. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think you need to look at what the benefits are for you as a fellow, what's being offered during your fellowship itself. So are you going to be able to be involved in projects? Are you getting that hands-on mentoring? What's in it for you? Because there is an opportunity cost. It's the difference between kind of staying on with a fellow salary, let's be honest, for a year or two, instead of just going right out into practice. So you want to make sure that from your perspective, it's what you want. And then also, what degree of mentorship is there for you? Are you going to have somebody that's meeting with you frequently and actually taking you through projects, or are you going to be the person that's doing projects with really no direction? And then finally, do you have a chance to complete a degree, if that's something that's interesting to you? So people will complete an MBA degree or an MHA, or sometimes even an IT certification. So those are all options. And how are those paid for? Is it something that you're going to have to pay for? Does the department chip in? Those are the real questions I think that need to be asked. And then finally, I would say, what do people do afterwards? So what is the track record been of people that graduate through the program? And what kind of roles do they achieve? Yeah, I think I, that's spot on advice. I had the same thoughts when I was evaluating the different admin programs as well. Um, let's transition a little bit to a little bit of organized medicine, a little bit about operations as well. Uh, so you currently serve on the task force for the boarding task force within AACEM. Boarding over the last couple of years, two to three years, has been monumental, to say the least. What are some potential solutions? Either let's start off at the departmental level. What are some solutions that we can implement? To, to, smooth, to smooth out that process. And then we'll talk about a little bit on the system level as well. Yeah, I could talk about boarding forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those hot topics for sure. Um, so I think from a department level, first of all, you have to make sure that your house is in order. So make sure that your operations are flowing, that you have great relationships with lab and radiology and consultants, and make sure that that is really well dialed in so that you're using all of the beds that you have, even if it's not many because they're full of orders, to the best that they can be used. And then along that line, I think... Thinking about an ED-run observation unit is really helpful, too, because it takes patients who meet observation status and kind of brings them under emergency medicine's control. That is useful in a lot of ways because it removes sort of those observation status patients from beds that could potentially be taken up by an inpatient, and it's better for their overall turnaround time. So if emergency medicine runs those OBS units, the, the length of stay for patients is much shorter because they're very disposition-focused. And it also helps the hospital, like I said, keep some of those inpatient beds open. And then I think finally partnering with hospital administration, that's a big one. So ED boarding is not just ED boarding, it's boarding because of a whole hospital difficulty and problem. And so making sure that you have good relationships with hospital administrators and that you can work towards solutions is very beneficial as well. So I think those three things together will hopefully start moving the needle. I worry that some departments still have are stuck in a cycle where administrators think that it truly is just an ED problem and we have to move beyond that and partner to find solutions. I 100% agree. I think that itself is one of the biggest challenges to solving or making this issue better, the boarding issue in particular, but how do you go about trying to align the different resources like the lab turnaround, radiology turnaround, consultant turnaround, or even how do you go about aligning the hospital level stakeholders to realize that this is not an ED problem alone that this is a systems-wide issue. Like, I think that's usually the, the biggest issue is working on the front line, we realize this is not a just-and-us problem. We're part of the equation, but we're not the only thing in the equation. So how do you go about 
aligning those other interests with other stakeholders as well to help us in this battle. Yeah, it's hard. It takes a lot of time and work. So one of the first things I did was I set up meetings to take people literally through the emergency department. And I brought them through on days, some days where it was bad boarding, some days where it was just business as usual, but always with borders, and just showed them what patients go through and how they're sitting in hallways or how they can't reach call lights or just you know really can't get the care that they need. And when I was doing that, one of our administrators, who I love dearly, turned around the corner and saw this huge hallway with all of these borders lined up and kind of clutched his chest. And I was like, hey, don't do that because we don't have room to put it in. <laughs> so it was kind of a funny turning point because I found that more often than not, people thought that borders meant they go somewhere else, like some magic place. And they didn't realize that borders are literally just sitting in our beds and taking up space for new incoming patients. So again, I did that with our administrators, I did it with different leaders, with lab and radiology, and brought them physically to the ED. And that was a big turning point for us. People started having this whole new kind of renewed energy around helping the ED out, knowing that it wasn't just the ED, that it was a whole hospital flow problem. So that's one thing I would certainly recommend if you're not doing that already, is just get people to come to the department and see what the conditions are like, how the staff is doing everything they can to take care of patients and where patients are being taken care of because it can be very impactful. Okay. All right. Thank you. And then that's definitely something that can be helpful from a systems-wide level as well. What are other things on a systems-wide or a hospital-wide level that they can do or help be a part of the solution as well about boarding? Yeah, there's a lot of different things that can happen. Making sure you have a really robust case management and care management program can be helpful because we're finding that after COVID, a lot of the delays and part of the backup to forward flow is that there's no place to send patients. So one of the things that our group did was they set up relationships with other facilities that are not care facilities. So if someone's ready to discharge, they would usually go to assisted living or a SNF, and we were able to set up hotels with some assistance for them. So just kind of thinking outside of the box and looking at where the actual bottleneck in the system is, and then being willing to say, yes, let's explore it. Many times people sort of hold their hands up and say, no, you know, either we've tried that before or it won't work because of X, Y, and Z. And I've turned that around a bit to say, why not? Why can't we just explore it? And people have been, I think, especially after the tours, people have been very open to that. Okay. All right. That's very insightful. Thank you. Let's transition now to a larger issue that's facing the entire specialty in regards to the workforce report that came out a couple of years ago. The projections are slated for, you know, 70 years from now. It is a model. So what is your interpretation of the 2020 workforce report that came out? And, you know, is it fact? Is it fiction? Is it somewhere in between? What are your thoughts? Yeah. My guess is that it's probably somewhere in between. I say that knowing that we just recently had a really tough match cycle, obviously, for emergency medicine. And I think some of the predictions, as well as the match, are a combination of things. I think that there was less exposure to emergency medicine because of COVID and all of the challenges that we were facing and the experiences that people had in EM or how people sort of see EM right now is not in a positive light. So those experiences were not experiences that we'd like them to see. So again, we were just talking about boarding and we know how hard that we work every single day to work on fixing boarding. People that are thinking about emergency medicine may not want to deal with that. That might not be where they see themselves if they don't want to push that hard. So I think that those are two of the big issues is just less exposure and the exposure has not been very positive. I think overall though, the workforce, I feel very optimistic about it. I still love my job, even though it's very challenging. I still think it's the best job in the world. And I see myself as kind of an optimist, so I'll put that disclaimer out there, but I think we have a chance to really redefine emergency medicine, and um, we are specialists, right? I mean, this is literally our specialty is emergency care, and reclaiming that back a little bit and, and seeing, you know, as we catch up from some of the backlog care from COVID.
COVID and we're starting to move through the system, I think it's going to be a really appealing and attractive job again. So I think um, there's always going to be a need for emergency medicine physicians. I think that um, we are a very strong, adaptable specialty. This is a, a bump and a rough patch, but we're certainly going to get through it, and um, I'm, I'm very optimistic for the future. Okay. All right. Now, talking a little more about the, the workforce or the job market, job market itself, what does it look like? You talked to other chairs, your chair. Like, are you guys hiring? Are there a like, conversation with the other chairs at this retreat? Like, What is the sentiment right now within Academic EM about the job market? Is it very tight. Like I know in 2020 when the COVID pandemic first hit, that it was a much tighter market. Where are we now? Do you feel like it's as competitive, a little bit less? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I still think it is pretty competitive. I think there's a lot of regional variation for sure. So I'm in Portland, Oregon, which tends to be a pretty tight market. But we did hire this year, which was great. So we actually, our volumes came back with a vengeance. So we we had pretty stagnant pediatric volumes for a while, and that really took off. It started with the RSV surge, but it's continued. And so we were able to hire some pediatric-specific PEM specialists. And we've also, we have an academic site as well as some community sites. And what we found is that people are interested in having a dual career. So they like some academic work and some community work. And so we've been able to hire a couple of FTE positions for that as well. And I think that that's pretty attractive because as much as everybody loves teaching residents and fellows, it is nice to do your own procedures sometimes too. And so that's been nice. We really haven't had people leave either. So we've been able to retain who we have. But we have expanded, at least in the Portland area, and have been able to hire this year. So we'll see how the next couple of years go. But again, I feel pretty positive in my market that we have not stopped hiring. We're continuing to build our bench. So that looks pretty positive. Okay. that's I'm sure the listeners uh, will, will feel very reassured knowing that it's not as tight as it was a few years ago when the pandemic first hit. And even in a very competitive geographical area, that there's still jobs to be had. So I'm sure they'll appreciate that. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Chansky, for your time today. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and for listening to your journey as well as uh, your insight into all the boarding issues. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's been fun.